Good morning to all of you and greetings in Jesus' name. I hope I don't sound too much like a foghorn. Um, I'm glad I'm among fellow people who have colds. Um, I hear some of you sniffling and that encourages me this morning. Hopefully you can understand what I would desire to share today. The title of the message is How to Lead a Soul to Christ. How to Lead a Soul to Christ. Um, 2% is estimated of people who are called Christians have tried in the last week or in the last month or in the last year. 2% have tried to lead one person to Christ. Um, Jesus' statement was, Come after me and I will make you to become really good people. Right? He said, I will make you to become fishers of men. This is very important and it goes along with the Sunday school lesson. How to lead a soul to Jesus Christ. Um, Colossians chapter 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Uh, there's an if there, and risen with Christ. That is so crucial. That is so vitally important that someone is risen with Christ. How can you be risen with Christ? That's what we want to look at. Um, too many times modern methods of leading souls to Jesus Christ create a deception instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to try to look at that. Um, if I would say, if I would ask young men or old men, um, if I would say, tell me, um, in a few words, how do you lead a person to Jesus Christ? The common method is the Romans road. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. Confess your sin and believe. And now you're a Christian. And this is what they follow up with. Now don't let anyone tell you differently according to 1 John chapter 5.13. And on the surface, this holds truth. But surface describes most of it. Um, we don't want to lead someone to a surface admission and relationship. We want to lead someone to be risen with Christ. Turn to John chapter 6. Um, it seems like in today's world, the, the heart of the desire of missions is trying to get someone to say a prayer. Um, there was a fellow, I believe his name is Stephen, I can't pronounce his last name very well, but he toured a mosque over in the New England states. And an imam was taking him around and showing him how the mosque operates, what time the prayer is, how they pray, and, and different things. And he was, the imam was saying, you know, we've had six conversions today to um, the Muslim faith. And Stephen, being a minister, was a little bit struck by that. And he says, how does that happen? And the imam kept talking. He didn't listen to the question or care to respond. And he, was, he went on saying how much the Muslim faith has grown and how it's taking root and taking hold of America. At the end of the tour, when they were closing in in the last room at the end there um, in the mosque, the imam finished his presentation and then he said, now I have one thing to ask of you. Say, Allah is great. And Stephen said, I can't say that. And he said, say it. Say, Allah is great. I can't say that. 
He said, say it. And he got really angry. Say it. <clears throat> and Stephen said, so if I don't even believe it in my heart, but I know that you just want me to say it, you think that makes me a part of the Muslim faith? And the imam said, yes. Say it. He walked away, leaving a very upset imam. But as I listened to that story, that there's people who, who relate Christianity that same way. Their whole goal is for you to say something. Just, just say it. Just pray this prayer and we'll all feel better. And I could relate different accounts of people who felt pressured into, you know, if you don't say this prayer, you're going to burn in hell. Just say it. And it's so much deeper than that, leading a soul to Jesus Christ. One man stated that leading a soul to Christ is so easy. If I stopped at a stoplight, I could put my car in park, get out of the car, lead a man to Jesus on the sidewalk, get back in my car, put it in drive, and be ready to go at the green light. That's the, that's the view of many people if you work in inner city, other churches, that's the view that they have of just somehow get them to say that prayer and you're ready to move on. Jesus said in Matthew 23:15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And listen to what they do. For ye compass land, sea and land to make one proselyte, when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You know, sometimes in such a, an intense desire to win souls to Christ, that desire becomes a little bit twisted or hypocritical. And more than leading a soul to Christ, we want to try and get a feather in my hat. We went and we shared the gospel and three people prayed the sinner's prayer. There, there's more to leading a soul to Jesus Christ than going into a community, getting people to pray a prayer and then say, be faithful and leave. Uh, I believe there's, there's a necessity that we need to do as God's children in being faithful and leading people to Jesus Christ. John 6, verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. They were arguing about this hard saying that Jesus made. Verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now that speaks of understanding there. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now you've seen in the lesson where it talked about Lydia, whom the Lord opened her heart. And here it says, except the Father which has sent me, draw someone. It's more than just someone saying a prayer. They need to have a drawing of God's Spirit on their life, drawing them to call out to Jesus Christ in faith. 
Um, if you flip forward to John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus is speaking here. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now that's the goal in outreach. When people are living their lives in satanic influence, and if the God's Spirit isn't resting in them, there is another spirit that needs cast out. And God's Spirit can dwell in them. So that is the goal. That the judgment, that the prince of this world would be cast out of someone's life. Verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So if we would desire people to be risen with Christ, it goes so much more deeper than just trying to make a proselyte out of someone. Say this prayer. It goes so much deeper than that. It is lifting up Jesus Christ and that He can draw them unto Himself. Too many times we don't have time for that. Because that takes more than just a week off of work or three days off of work. It takes a very deep commitment to be able to teach Jesus Christ effectively and allow Jesus Christ to draw them unto Himself. But we look at Romans chapter 10, and we'll spend a lot of time in Romans. Actually, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Romans says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so in that way, people have said, well, you know, if people would just pray a prayer to salvation, they're saved. And yet, continue reading in Romans 10. It's a very precious passage. Even the very next verse says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? It's more than words that we want them to say. There has to be something in the heart of understanding of who Jesus is. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teach them, it says. And what do we teach them? Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. My desire in sharing this is we don't want to settle for a shallow connection of leading someone to Jesus Christ. We want to do it the biblical way. <clears throat> I appreciate Mark chapter 4. Actually, you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. Now maybe you say, well, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. Then I ask you, are you saved? Because someone who's saved, someone who has found Jesus Christ, truly desires to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to make you stand up if you attempted to lead someone to Jesus Christ last week. But I would ask you, in your, in your life of service for Jesus, how deep is it going? Is there a desire that you can help others to find salvation? In Mark um, chapter 4, it says in verse 11, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now, why were they done in parables? That seeing they may see, see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. So what in this passage, how would people be converted? If they would be able to see, if they would be able to understand from their heart and be converted. Those things are very important. See, perceive, and be converted. 
First Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read the first four verses, and it, it contains a very brief um, message of the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So there was a realization He died for our sins in verse 3. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. <clears throat> Jesus came to call sinners from sin to eternal life. There, there has to be that realization. And then the blood that was shed, it talks about that He was buried and that He rose again the third day. Jesus died on the cross because we were under the penalty of sin. And that death penalty could not be erased by unless there was a perfect sacrifice of blood, and that was the blood of Jesus. And why did Jesus rise again? It's part of our salvation. In verse 17 of the same passage here, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, and they also which are fallen asleep as Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, this is meaningless. We're men most miserable. There's, if there's no such thing as eternal life, what hope are you giving to the sinner who's, who's lost? There's no hope. There, there, this is meaningless. But if, you, if they clearly understand, and we clearly understand, that when we die, we will go to eternal life. Whether it be eternal death or eternal life. But there is eternity. It makes the message of so much importance. And that's why Jesus rose from the dead he is a living Savior, and He has proved that He has power over death. That has to be understood. <clears throat> so as we look at how would you lead a person to Jesus Christ, how would you lead a person to be risen with Christ? I truly believe that Scripture starts it out as a realization of God's view of sin. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1 has a very incredible, important verse that everyone needs to understand. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We must understand that verse. The next verse says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Why did he obtain mercy? Because he saw himself as a sinner before a holy God. There must be that realization in people's mind to understand the gift of salvation. First must be that realization of I am a sinner. Step one, there must be a realization. Now, what is the penalty of sin? You look at Ezekiel 18.20. is a very important verse. It says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. No exceptions. Um, and then it even goes on to say, The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, 
Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So I can't say, well, see, the reason I get angry is my dad, hey, you're, if your dad is a sinner and commits sin, he will die spiritually. That's the long and the short of it. And if you commit the same sin, it's not his responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know, we live in an age where we say, well, you know, they have a, an imbalance. And they have, and, and we live in an age of excuses. But it still comes back to scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it will die. Even in Genesis, as I look at the, and I read the account of the first sin, and you look at that sin and you think, eating fruit? I mean, shouldn't it be a sin of don't kill anybody else in the garden? And yet, because what God said, no, this is the line, then there's no question about this is the line. And anyone who steps across, whether it be fruit or something that we consider frivolous, if we step across that line, we are living in, we have committed sin, and the soul that sins will surely die. Sin is breaking of the law of God. Now, working in inner city mission, um, you know, all of us feel condemned if we committed an awful sin. But a lot of us excuse the little stuff. If I was praying with a man once, and this happened more than once, praying with a man in a council room, and he looks you in the eye and he says, I killed somebody, and nobody else knows. You know, it makes you feel, ooh, this is big stuff here. Like, nobody? Nobody. The police gave up. Nobody knows. He knew so little of God's laws and God's view of sin. That man knew so little of God's view of sin, but he knew something that bad he's going to have to pay for. And I think that's too many times how, how we view sin. That's not God's view. We need to have a realization of God's view of sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not just when we kill someone. You look in Matthew 5, verse 21. This is God's line. This is God's law. You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. It means to sneer at someone. Verse 44, this is the line that God creates, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Your enemies might be in your own house. Your enemies might be at another church or in the church. Your enemies might be at your work. It doesn't matter where your enemies are. This is God's law. He says, I say, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. 
Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, well, I'm a really good person, but yeah, I crossed that line. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's the seriousness of sin. This is nothing to look at and say, well, that's maybe an ideal, but the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's view of lust. Matthew 5.28 <clears throat> Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. This is how serious it is. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Why is that? Because the soul that sinneth, it will die. <clears throat> what about the next verse, or the next section? I, I hear this statement at times. Well, divorce isn't wrong, it's the remarrying. What does Jesus say? Where's, where's the line that He has made? It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for one cause, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And they came back to Jesus and Mark and said, but, but hey, wait, Moses gave us a writing of divorcement. And Jesus said, because your hearts are hard. But then he stated, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And our society has created a lot of excuses. And yet God says, there's the line. We don't cross it. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. <clears throat> Covetousness. Matthew 5, verse 40. If any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee. From him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. Jesus is telling us, use your resources to be a giver not a consumer. Not for what I can get. It's for what I can give. You know, do we understand God's view of, of sin? A realization of God's view of sin. If, if we're not surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit in every area of life, when we understand God's view of sin, it's more than someone who's admitting they have sinned. It's admitting that I am a sinner and a realization of I I'm a sinner before a holy God. It's more than, have you ever stolen anything? Well, I remember taking a cookie out of Grandma's jar. It's, it's, it's greater than that. It's more than just one event of, I need to feel condemned because I took a cookie when I was eight years old. It's a realization that God is holy and I have broken His law, not just in one point, but my whole spirit needs changed. I'm in an awful state. A realization of God's view of sin. This must be clear. And then the next thing, and I'm moving through this rapidly, I'm still going to run out of time. Leviticus 17.11 There's only one thing that can remove that stain of sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We must have that realization. The second thing is, there's only one thing that can remove that sin. Leviticus 17, verse 11. You don't need to turn there. 
Um, I would encourage you to write it down if you desire to lead people to Christ. It's a very important verse. It says, For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Atonement means to disannul or to forgive a debt. Hebrews 9, speaking of sins, in verse 22 it says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There, there is zero remission of sin without the shedding of blood for that. When someone sins, the life of that person is forfeit to divine justice, according to God's word. If I sin, if you have sinned, your life is forfeited. You will surely die, according to divine justice. Someone under divine justice cannot offer his own life as an atonement. God, if you forgive me, I'll serve you all the days of my life. What? You don't have anything to give. You're sentenced to die. The soul that sins, it will surely die. The consequences of sin is your life. How can you give as payment? You're done. You have nothing to give. Um, and this is what I believe... Excuse me, just one minute. I believe we need to be more excited about the blood of Christ and what it means in our lives. I really do. I, I think we, we've just kind of grown shallow or sighing about it. I think we need to be excited about this. Um, this is what happens. Someone under divine justice cannot offer his own life as an atonement. You need the blood of Christ to be forgiven before a renewed commitment to holiness. There's so many times that we see people who, well, they know that they have sinned. And they know that they're maybe walking in sin. So they will be very zealous in some other area of Christian service. Somehow thinking that, God, I'm going to make you happy with me. I'm going to really do it. But the soul that sins, it shall die. And we can't offer as an atonement any amount of good works. It will never be enough. Never. There's one thing that's enough, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to cleanse that sin in your life. That's the only one thing. But this happens even in churches. People are convicted by the spirit of failure. It might be hate. It might be bitterness. It might be disobedience. It might be speaking gossip. And this is what happens. They make a commitment to do better. That's wrong. That's, that's wrong. A commitment to do better doesn't cleanse the sin if there's sin. No, no amount of commitments. There's, you can make 500 of them today. That doesn't make it right. But you did wrong. There's only one thing that will atone for sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Leviticus 17, if I can read the whole verse. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Matthew 26, Jesus speaking, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. There's no remission of sin if there isn't the blood applied to my life. No amount of commitment. I remember young people, I remember being unsurrendered to Jesus Christ. And I remember thinking, you know, if Jesus comes and I'm standing at the judgment, surely I can say, hey, I'm a good guy. I, I've, 
I've tried to do what was right. And yeah, there's failure, but I truly had a good heart to do what was right. Surely Jesus is a swell enough guy that He'll say, hey, I understand. You, you, you did have a tough road to hoe. You have a commitment to do good. It'll never happen. Because without the blood, there's no remission of sin. Ephesians 1.17 In whom we have redemption, speaking of Jesus, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There must be a realization for sin and there must be a realization of the importance of the blood, the blood of Christ. And this is where it comes back to, you know, just someone saying a prayer. No matter how beautiful a prayer or how sincere a commitment, it it will never atone for sin. It never will. No matter how beautifully they can pray and commit themselves and with zeal or whatever... There has to be a recognition of the importance of the blood that was shed for their sins. Um, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Steps to leading a soul to Christ. A realization of God's view of sin. Not just looking at, well, I killed someone, so I'm going to be guilty. It's, it's looking at what does God view as sin, and have I kept that? And if I haven't, I have sin in my life, and that sin will bring spiritual death. But the blood, importance of blood atonement is so necessary. The blood can cleanse me from that sin. And the next one is salvation by faith in Jesus. And that's for the S. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But this is incredible. Verse 24, But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the blood of Christ. Whom God has set to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. If you fast forward to Romans chapter 10, you know the verse of Ephesians 2. I'll just read that as you're looking at Romans 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 10 verse 8. But what saith that the word is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? That is the word of faith which we preach. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. There has to be an understanding from the heart. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And here's the proof. Verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So someone who has a salvation Faith, a faith in Jesus Christ. There is a living proof that it's in the heart. And whosoever believeth from his heart 
shall not be ashamed. You know, I there's people who struggle intensely about how can I share faith or I'd be embarrassed or you know what if I don't have the answers or don't be ashamed. If we're ashamed, it's it's proof of evidence that in our hearts maybe we don't understand that it's complete faith in Jesus' blood atoning for our sins that has cleansed us and made us whole. Somehow we think it's our good works that brought us there. Then there's going to be a lot of questions that you won't be able to ask, be able to answer properly. But when we understand that Jesus Christ is the one by His blood, we're not ashamed if our, that faith is in our heart. How do we lead a soul to Jesus Christ? Realization of God's view of sin the importance of blood atonement. Without the shedding of blood is no forgiveness. Salvation by faith in Jesus' work alone. I'll move on to the next one. Um, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. If you want to turn there. I believe the E is for experiencing baptism. Be identified with Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus is desiring followers with unwavering loyalty. Followers who, who are not trying to follow Him in secret. Followers who are not trying to blend into their surroundings. Followers who absolutely unwavering loyalty and they are willing to experience baptism of saying, I am identified with Jesus Christ. As a formal commitment, I am identified with Jesus Christ. Baptism says I'm willing to forsake everything else and make a public commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, if you look at Romans chapter 6, it speaks there of that baptism experience. We are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Baptism is a very important step of someone identifying with Jesus Christ. We can't lead someone through a salvation prayer and then somehow they have the hope of just blending in. Life being normal for them. Or somehow, I don't want to have to stand out. It's not about how can I stand out. It's about you will stand out because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It changes your life. You live by His laws. Jesus wants His disciples to forsake everything for His identity. I'm running out of time. I would encourage you, read chapter Luke 14 if you have time. It's incredible. Jesus, in one chapter, He hits it three different times about not being His disciple. And He says, you know, if these things here are too important to you, you cannot be My disciple. He says, if a man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Same chapter he says in verse 27, Whosoever doesn't bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. 
Same chapter, verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That's what really I believe baptism is to signify. I am identifying with Christ and I'm willing to leave everything else behind, including what the world thinks of me. Because I am identified with Him. And lastly, um, the N stands for newness of life. If you want to lead someone to Jesus Christ, I believe it can't be just a simple prayer. There has to be an understanding from the heart of a realization of being a sinner. An importance of blood atonement. The salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. There has to be a willingness to experience water baptism. And then the beauty of it all is newness of life. And Romans 6 again spoke of that. As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It's so easy to become discouraged by sin, by pressures, by peer pressure, by our own fleshly pressures. And and we start caving in thinking, well, I can't deal with this much longer and I can't put up with this temptation. It's so real to us. And yet the call from Jesus says, walk in newness of life. Walk as children of light. Be that light, be that salt in the earth. There's other people going through the same temptations that you are. You're not alone in the temptations that you face. And yet as you walk in the light of Christ and walk in victory, it's incredible the encouragement that you're bringing to your fellow Christians as you walk in the light. I hope you truly desire to lead a soul to Jesus Christ. And I hope we don't just are in the process of the Pharisees of making proselytes. Let's just go and have them say these couple things and, and we got somebody. It's nothing to do with that. It's pointing them to Jesus and His glorious plan. And Jesus can draw them to Himself and that there is a connection between that person and Jesus Christ. It, it can't be a frivolous type thing. It can't even be a... Even if it's a glorious prayer, it, it must be from the heart that people realize they're a sinner. That they see that Jesus' blood is the only cleansing factor in their life. Um, these things are important. I believe as we lead new converts and also as we walk with God, a realization of the importance of the blood to cleanse our lives is so vital. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Father, I thank you for life. Life that was given to those who were in death. Thank you for light. Light that was given to those who were in darkness. Lord, I can identify how great was that darkness. And yet, Lord, I thank you for the glorious gospel that can cleanse no matter where we have been, that can cleanse and make us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that each within each of us, my prayer is that we would have a renewed zeal, a renewed desire 
of the song that says, Lead me to one soul today. And Lord, that we wouldn't leave with a silent witness, but Lord, that we would leave somehow leaving the glorious gospel, somehow lifting up Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.